Welcome to the Magnificast Lock-In. Your parents have dropped you off once again. Who knows what they're about to get up to with a house all to themselves, but you don't want to think about that. <laughs> you're here to think about... <laughs> you're here to think Yuck. about these great don't games. <laughs> these great games. You're here to think about your foosball strategy. You can put the rest of that out of your mind for now. <laughs> um, you can think about it when you're going to bed. Uh, Matt, um, sorry... I've completely lost my train of thought. I haven't even introduced myself. I'm Dean, the one you already know. Uh, you're youth pastor, um, the youth pastor who makes these kind of inappropriate jokes in the middle of a sermon. Um, oh, nice. And I'm itching to get to the next phase of the walk-in. So I'll let you introduce yourself, even though I've already spoiled it. Yeah, no, and I'm Matt Bernico. I'm the other. Uh, I'm the other co-host of this podcast, and I'm also the senior pastor, looking on disapprovingly to see what the youth are getting up to. <laughs> That's mm. right. Sexual jokes in my church? I don't think so. Yeah, this youth fest is on thin ice. Um, <laughs> all right. So last time around, Matt had two Reddits that he gave to me because I couldn't find any. And I was nervous about that. I felt bad. I felt like I had failed both Matt and the walk-in community. But I redeemed myself because this week, Matt didn't find any. And I did find two. So the balance has been restored. Um, okay. Let me go ahead and throw this first one to you. I'm pretty proud of both of these. The second one's better, but the first one's pretty good. Uh, the title goes like this. Am I being unchristlike when I haggle for a good deal? When someone punches in the wrong price for me, etc. Uh, and the details go like this. I'm a price shopper by nature. Like 90% of the shopping I do is based off the deals I get. Like going to flea markets, garage sales, I haggle the prices with the vendors. If I go to the store, I work to get multiple coupons stacking, Talking with people over the phone for shopping? Yep, I spend hours milking every deal possible. Oh, they mislabeled the price tag on this item from $100 to $1? I'll buy it. Coupons to make things free? Totally grabbing a handful of them. So part of me enjoys doing so, but part of me always wonders if I should be feeling guilty or sinful, as in some cases I feel I'm literally stealing from them. At the same time, part of me doesn't, since I realize stuff is marked up super high to start. So mixed thoughts. Curious what you think. Okay, I've got some thoughts. Uh, so this makes a lot of sense. Uh, so sorry, the Christ the question was: Is this Christian to do to do this? Right? Is this yeah? Is it is this person being unChristlike specifically? Nope, this is Christlike. Uh, I gotta say, it is Christlike <laughs> for sure. So we can go at this from a few different directions. First of all, could you see Jesus uh, extreme couponing? I don't know if that's. I don't. I mean, I guess I could imagine that. I wouldn't like to imagine it, but I could. So <laughs> right. there's that. Yep. Uh, the other way about it, though, is um, maybe the more virtue ethics approach to the situation, uh, which I'm apparently very big on right now. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so think about this way. For, first of all, there's the story of the shrewd businessman, right? The right. shrewd businessman in the in the the parable. He's all about uh, he's he's making deals. He's screwing over the big boss uh, mm -hmm. and uh, he's making those deals. So in the future, somebody else can uh, can be kind to him. And I think that if you're going to take these great deals that you bought you know maybe you bought a hundred glade plugins for <laughs> two cents a piece or you know you got 30 gallons of chocolate milk and they had to pay you to take these things off your hands i think as long as you're going to give those to other people uh, i think you're good and that's christ-like mm -hmm. the other thing i was thinking about too is that uh in the magnificat it does say that you know that, that god's here to bring down the mighty from their thrones. And what better way to do that than than couponing the shit out of these guys, right? Like you you make the safe way pay you to take the baloney, you know? 
And that's mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. you do it. That's how you um, you send the rich away empty. You uh, you make them they make you make them pay you for the Tide mm-hmm. Pods, and that's great. I think that's Christ-like. Yeah, that's great. I think that you've really uh, you've really worked your hermeneutical muscles on this one. Um, yeah. There are some really great replies in here. Uh, one person says, "Taking advantage of other people's mistakes." Does this sound like holiness to you? And the original poster says, "No." but it doesn't sound like sin to me either. And I like that. I like that gray area. Yeah. I like kind of like working around it like that, but also the, the problem that, that, um, that that poster is having the commenter there is that this is not taking away of somebody's weakness. This is taking, uh, taking advantage of a corporation's weakness and, uh, who gives a shit? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) They're not people. That's right. Well, in the eyes of the law, but in the eyes of God. Yeah, they're just garbage. Um, just garbage, garbage waiting to be burned up with the rest of the planet. The moths will come eat all of the baloney right off the shelves. <laughs> That's all right. All right. Let me move you to question two. Um, the title of this one is Magic 8-Ball Toy or Ouija in Disguise? Holy shit. And the question goes like this. This can't be what it's about. <laughs> no. Yep, this is what it's about. Um, the question says, my son found a Magic 8-Ball at a garage sale and I wouldn't let him have it. My parents would never let me have one as a kid because they said the Bible says no one can know the future and should not ask to know the future. So I ended up getting in a fight with my wife about it. So what do you think? Is it harmless for an eight year old? (laughs) (laughs) I love this. There's a lot of layers here. Right. There's a lot of layers, man. Um. That's amazing. I love I love the application <laughs> of Ouija logic uh, to yep. the eight ball. Oh, it's so cool <laughs> for so many reasons. OK, so this person doesn't want to buy their eight year old the magic eight ball because it says that no one can know the future. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't ask on, it on this one. OK, yeah. In this one, though, I'm going to have to side with this parent um, with his dad, I, I think. I don't know. Um, it doesn't matter. I'm going to start with his parent. And here's why the Bible does say that um, you can't know the future. And I think it's really important that we teach our children that, that no toys can tell you the future. <laughs> so that's why um, that's why I'm coming here to shark to Christian Shark Tank today to pitch a new toy for you uh, and everyone listening. And it's called the Christian eight ball. It's yeah. not magic. I've, I've excluded the word magic from the name for yeah, obvious yeah. reasons. And um, when you shake it, it just says outlook unclear every single time. Every single time it tells you the same thing, outlook unclear. And that way your kids are like, oh, wow, an an eight ball. I love this. Thank you, parents, for getting this this thing right here. But you're never they're never sinning. They're not doing magic and no one knows the future. And uh, I think that's that's. uh, you know, I'd like you. I'd like to sell this idea. I'd like to get you in on the ground floor of this idea, um, if I could. Yeah, um, you know, I, I'd like to invest. I'm a little curious about your margins already, but uh, let me. You know, I've been in this business for a while, and I want to just um, throw back a little product development. Uh, what if instead of saying future unclear, it actually just gives you um, a, a different proverb every time? So that way, it's not um, like you know the future, but it's kind of toying with it a little bit because it's like good advice. For the future. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's good. I can take that. Uh, I can take that feedback and kind of bring it, you know, I get, run it up the flagpole and see what the uh, the fellows upstairs say. I don't know. 
And, and, you know, my margins, they're low. I mean, I'm just buying Magic 8-Balls by the truckload of garage <laughs> sales, and I'm just opening those babies up and putting the new little... Uh, the new little thing in there and uh, that's it's cheap they're they're cheap i mean no one's buying no christians are buying them at the garage sales anyways so i'll just come through and i'll i'll swoop them all up and uh and just get them in my christian eight ball uh <laughs> production line yeah yeah i'm in for 20 percent equity and um one one percent royalty on every future christian eight ball okay. um there's one, uh, there are a few, you know, lots and lots of, as you can imagine, there are 40 comments on this one in particular. Uh, <laughs> most most people say, what's wrong with you? Um, and at the end of it, uh, the original poster does concede the point and says, thanks for all the input. Input. My mind has changed and my wife knows that she was right. So all is well with the world. Oh, so did they buy their kid an eight ball? I hope so. That I'm not sure about, but they did realize they were wrong. Mm-hmm. So, I man, that is such a great example of the the maladies of the evangelical mind. <laughs> Just how that all shakes out into extreme paranoia that you're going to accidentally buy your kid a satanic toy. I love it. <laughs> there are some wild comments in here. I have to say, this is one that I I'm not exactly sure what to make of it, but I will read it to you. This comment, which does have a lot of downvotes, says. Uh, FYI, as someone who's waited through hell on earth, never let a Ouija board into your home unless you want to understand the true meaning of fear. Pretty much everything else is safe. Most tarot, tarot cards are even safe. They're not the real deal. Palm reading is a joke, just a parlor trick. Those boards, though, that's where things get terrifying. Oh, I love it. People are so afraid of Ouija boards. I've never used one, and I probably never will. Yeah, uh, that's why uh, you shouldn't use a, a Ouija board, and you should buy my Christian Luigi board instead. <laughs> that's right. And it's that's just right. Pictures of Luigi on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. S- uh, Saint Luigi, that is. <laughs> that's right. That's the one. <laughs> All right. Well, we've kind of we've done these, and they were fun. But now let's talk about what's happening in the world. We got to do it. What's happening? Oh wait, how about I go first since you did all these Reddits? Yeah, that's great. Okay. Cool. Um. Well. Oh, man, so many things are happening in the world. Things don't stop happening. There were more police shootings. There's more protests. There's all kinds of things going on. Um, And who oh boy, that's what I got to say. <laughs> COVID's getting worse. I don't know. It's just it's all bad. But uh, today is June 17th. And uh, I woke up this morning. And I looked at my phone. And the first thing I saw on my phone was a video of a police officer. Well, it's actually not clear if she's a police officer. Um, I've heard mixed reports since that maybe she was like a, a hired sort of like private security person. It, mm. it doesn't matter. A, a cop, nonetheless, <laughs> any way you split it, <laughs> a cop uh, talking into her phone and um, becoming very upset about her trip to McDonald's where um, she ordered uh, an egg McMuffin. She ordered a coffee. She ordered a hash brown, and then she went through the drive-through, and like, uh, didn't get it. Didn't she got the coffee, and then didn't get the food, and then she just kind of proceeds to melt down about this. And um, if you're an alien and don't understand the cultural context of the moment, uh, you might be like, "Wow, that's a really weird story." And you're right, it is a really weird story. But this is kind of coming off the context of this other weird story that happened a few days ago. Um, where uh, some police were um, were were reporting that they think they were poisoned when they got milkshakes at Shake Shack. Um, 
that they think that somebody put bleach in their milkshakes and instead uh it's it's been revealed later on uh that actually they just were sick and nobody poisoned them (laughs) (laughs) um and okay anyways this is all kind of getting to the point that um i read this this very good article about the kind of developing story about uh cops who are very afraid to eat food right now (laughs) um uh uh, by Sarah Jones. It's called Cops in the Culture War. Uh, Sarah Jones, always my fave. And yeah, it came out today on the 17th, the same day as this uh, police McDonald's meltdown video. And um, okay, it's a good article for a lot of reasons, uh, mostly because it kind of plays into that that good journalistic niche that the Magnificast thrives off of, uh, of uh, the connection between uh, like conservative Christianity and like fascist police thought uh but anyways i'm gonna read the introduction and then i'm gonna read the the outro or the uh the outro the conclusion <laughs> as some people call it <laughs> the outro and uh yeah. we can kind of talk about like what's going on here because it's pretty fascinating i think and sarah jones puts it together in just the right way um okay so this is what she says nobody put bleach into the milkshakes at shake shack the cops who ordered them and got diarrhea had food poisoning or lactose intolerance or indigestion aroused by the consumption of garbage but for a while (laughs) police unions insisted that something more nefarious than gluttony had occurred the cops were quote intentionally poisoned the detective endowments association tweeted by one or more workers the police benevolent association of new york later claimed that the mystery substance was bleach but anyways (laughs) uh, it turned out later that uh, it was not the case that that didn't happen they they just had the poops um <laughs> cool and then she goes on to kind of sum up that story i just mentioned a new viral video appears to show a police officer in georgia weeping over a delayed mcmuffin order uh and quotes from the police officer uh right now i'm too nervous to take a meal from mcdonald's because, because i just can't see it being made she said um and uh that's what's going on uh th- so sarah jones is painting the picture that there is a a, a quote culture war with the police right now and um, I, I think that the culture war with the police is much more a fabrication of the police than it is like a real culture war. Um, it is uh, it is the case, though, there is a real um, a class war with the police at the moment <laughs> as mm-hmm. they're like uh, brutalizing people in the streets. That's a whole situation that is extremely real. But um, I don't think police officers probably need to f- worry about getting poisoned at McDonald's. Um, it's a it's it's a really like a uh, situation where they're punching down so hard on people who mm-hmm. are already like, you know, in a pretty bad situation uh, work wise. But uh, anyways, uh, so Sarah Jones kind of draws this whole situation out and it explains this uh, like as a persecution fantasy that police have. And uh, she says this uh, outlandish persecution fantasies are a staple of the right wing culture war narrative. Much like the Christian right, the cops see enemies everywhere and their imaginations tell horrible tales. In both cases, the lie serves a specific function. It's a screen meant to hide the way power really works. I think this is a really important part because, I mean, this is something we've said in the Magnificast before. Um, this is something that, you know, like Tad DeLay talks about in his book um, against. But, like, this is just a, a good um, a good example that kind of brings to light these, like, these persecution fantasies and the way that uh, framing, like, an invisible enemy uh, heightens the sort of tension of the moment and, like, I guess definitely provides an important pretense for violence in the future and oppression in the future. Um, and she says a lot more about the Christian right and kind of drives that home a bit more. But um, the ending of the article is cool. Uh, and she says this, there's a difference between the lies of Shake Shack squad and the Christian rights, more sophisticated attempts at propaganda. Um, 
like <laughs> like Tinky Winky, she says, being gay in this <laughs> sort of culture, the cultural war that went over that weird moment <laughs> about, <laughs> about Teletubbies. Okay, anyways, these, these days, she says, the Christian right prefers insinuation and spin to outright fabrication. They take a real event like the Supreme Court's ruling that to legalize same-sex marriage and build a fantastical world around it. The police see things that do not exist at all. That's pretty interesting. Um, but the two groups are still very alike, and neither is wrong to think they have enemies. While no one wants to put pastors in jail, and police abolition is still a minority view, the left does threaten the hegemony of the right. What they call persecution is progress for others. The police and the Christian right fear a world that will not keep them in power. Um, so I think that comparing these two ways of thinking, like the like cop thought and conservative Christian thought, are pretty interesting juxtapositions, because they both do this, right? They both um they both need to uh yeah i mean they both express persecution narratives to firm up their power or or as a pretense to um you know uh build up a stronger um system of oppression or something or 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 um use more outlandish rhetoric to alienate people or mm -hmm. double down on their type you know types of oppression through rhetoric whatever but uh anyways i like this piece just because it does make this kind of connection uh, that that there's there's like a underlying thread between these two ways of thinking right that fascist thought is fascist thought in one place or another and you know they present themselves in different ways symptomatically but there's kind of like a root to them and uh i don't know it, it seems it seems helpful for uh diagnosing some of like what's going on at the moment and how all of it sort of works yeah, I, I really appreciate that link as well, um, especially because the persecution complex is so strong. I think what's particularly troubling about it in police is that it's that persecution complex and the perception that everybody in the world is against you that ends up licensing literal murder. Whereas, I mean, it does that on a, in a systemic way with um, evangelical Christians. Um, but like I always think about Darren Wilson in his uh, defense uh, in the grand jury trial said that Michael Mike Brown was uh, like a demon. You know, he concocted this like incredibly uh, elaborate explanation of how threatening Mike Brown was, even though he was, you know, a teenager. And that right. was the, the rationale that Darren Wilson used to justify killing him. And I think that is probably the most horrifying piece of it. Cause it's like, the persecution complex is annoying and stupid and it's ridiculous to like watch a, uh, an officer complain about not getting her food from McDonald's fast enough or something. Um, but the fact that there is kind of a direct line from that feeling, that really goofy incident to, you know, people literally killing people, I think is pretty troubling. And again, just goes back to Tad delay's book. Like you mentioned, um, when he describes evangelicalism as a kind of death cult, um, I think there's something similar there that resonates with how police just sort of view the world. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, man, uh, it, what's, you know, that and that Twitter video is just shared by people. I mean, like, I don't know if there's some kind of deeper. Um, sneaky social media stuff going on. Uh, some people have suggested that there might be uh, because the woman is not, in fact, um, the woman police officer is not, in fact, like a police officer uh, in the precinct that she was reporting in, like huh. that she was somebody else hired on. Anyways, I don't, I don't know if there's anything sneaky going on, but I, other than if if there's not, right? This is just somebody sharing it on Twitter and it kind of blowing up because of like the outlandishness of the story. 
but all, all that to say, like uh, these types of stories feed into that persecution narrative. And like, yeah, just like you said, there there's real consequences for doing that, for making police feel paranoid. Um, you know, people who are already need nearly no excuse to brutalize other people mm-hmm. if they feel like they are if they feel like they are under attack by like, you know, the invisible Antifa super soldiers or whatever. Uh, and they're going to and now they're going to poison their McDonald's like it just it's going to make them react that much more violently. Yeah. Um, and it's bad. Yeah. Um, it makes me think, too. I mean, I tweeted about this earlier, but um <laughs> I'll admit it's hard for me to have a lot of empathy for the police. Uh, But when I watched that video, the one bit of empathy that I did feel was um, how unfortunate that this is a person who basically lives a life where they have to feel like completely afraid of everybody around them manufactured or not. It's a, it's a really terrible way to live. Um, And, you know, Paulo Ferreira and pedagogy of the press has this great kind of explanation of how when the oppressor uh, is oppressing, they, you know, they, they dehumanize themselves. And when the oppressed liberate themselves, they also liberate the oppressor, which is an act of love toward the oppressor because they remove the oppressor from that position that is so destructive to everybody, including themselves. And I guess I need to think a bit more about that, like how to sort of revolutionize or operationalize a kind of empathy for how bad this job is also for the people who do it. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's not the best strategic take. I'm not really sure. But anyway, it just kind of was like an impression that hit me as I saw that video today. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's something to think about, though, right? Like if uh, if this story is legitimate and organic and true, like at its base level. And I, I imagine we'll find out sooner or later if it is. But if it is all true and it is happening just like it is right, then this is not like someone's. You know, people. This woman is not just like saying these things because she, you know, wants to psych herself up or something, or, or mm-hmm. you know, she's not thinking this way on purpose, right? This is a pathology that underlines this type of like fascistic sort of um, worldview, I guess. And it it is something to feel sorry for. <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah. you don't want someone to be in this. Uh, you know, if we're gonna be good Marxists, right? The material conditions sort of uh, do set this person up to to act this way. Um, so, uh, if we could significantly shift them, it would be better. It's it's definitely like a a bad mental health situation for her to be in, for anyone to be in. So, um, it's, uh, it's another outlook for abolition to maybe get people out of these, uh, types of extremely bad situations. Yeah. The best way to live a police officer is abolish their job, I guess, is what it comes down to. Yeah. Uh, well, let me uh, take you to an article that I really enjoyed reading this week, which was at the National Catholic Reporter, not to be confused with the National Catholic Register, um, <laughs> a r- really hard thing to keep straight in your brain. Uh, <laughs> the National Catholic Reporter is the good one. The Register is the bad one. Um, in the Reporter, there was a great article by Shanine D. Williams, who has done just a ton of incredible work uh, in the last several years on black Catholicism and black Catholics and trying to say that Catholic history involves you know, black Catholic history and uh, black history involves Catholic history, et cetera. Just a a really um, incredible researcher and and writer. And she writes a lot of op-eds and articles. And she wrote a really good one uh, this week called The Church Must Make Reparation for Its Role in Slavery and Segregation. 
And she makes a really, really good case for um, reparations, but specifically trying to think through what the role is in like for Christians thinking through their own complicity in the creation of slavery and the afterlives of slavery, et cetera. Um, and I think it's, it's just really like a kind of reflection that you don't see happening in a lot of Christian spaces or media outlets. So I'll read just a few um, passages from it that I'm thinking about a lot. So she says uh, in, in one part um, that it has taken so long for the institutional church and many non-black Catholics to embrace the rally cry of black lives matter cannot be ignored. It must be said too, that the recent Catholic statements on racism and rising protests fall way short when it comes to acknowledging the church's role in the contemporary crisis and direct complicity in the sins of anti-black racism, slavery, and segregation in the modern era. Um, she goes on to, you know, point out some of those things, how Catholicism in particular has been so complicit uh, in, you know, owning, selling slaves, etc., um, perpetuating segregation. But uh, she does outline a, a plan, she says, of action for a Catholic reparation, and um, I'll just kind of list the things that she says here, which I think are interesting to think about. So she lists uh, part of that plan would be making formal apologies for the church's own histories of slavery and segregation, stopping the closing of active African-American parishes, reinvesting in and expanding the black Catholic educational system, requiring the teaching of black and brown Catholic history in every Catholic school and seminary, endowing scholarships, fellowships, and professorships for black and brown scholars at Catholic colleges and universities, and broadening formal church leadership to include anti-racist women and members of the laity. And then she says she called upon Catholics to take leading roles in campaigns working to protect black lives, eliminate racism in the healthcare system, end mass incarceration and bail, and secure police reform and accountability. Um, we mm. certainly might want to say more and more about that, but... Um, I think it's just a really lovely um, article in that it it outlines so many things so clearly. Um, and it's, I think, an important thing to start asking questions or or continue asking questions or amplifying them, however you want to put it, uh, about what Black Lives Matter means within Christian communities. You know, we talk a lot about how Christians do show up in these protests, and that's really great. Um, but what are the kind of really big and, and challenging structural changes that have to happen in order to, uh, you know, make meaningful reparations uh, on, on the part of Christians themselves? I think that's like a really fascinating question to be posing to ourselves. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the, the list of demands uh, might be imperfect. We might, you know, add things to it or something, but still. Uh, or, you know, resituate some of the assumptions that even the demands make. But but you, you, just the same, right? I appreciate the very concrete demands that you would make in that kind of situation. Um, it is extremely easy and Christians are very good at it, uh, good at the, uh, you know, the act of um, calling for radical justice while not <laughs> wanting it or not, uh mm -hmm not actually um, articulating like what that radical justice means. So to affix some real demands to what, like what this actually means is such a, I think important and powerful step. Uh, Christians yeah. should be, uh, they, they should be, you know, asking for things specifically. And I appreciate when they do. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a great moment in here too. I mean, great insofar as it's a, a really fascinating observation where she says, uh, while I do not yet foresee a mass black exodus from the United States, 
assisting in efforts to reconnect black people to the land of their ancestors and growth in Africa is essential. And that's something she says can be achieved through Catholic Africa exchange programs. She says, moreover, if there ever came a time when black Americans did need to flee for their safety, the church could play a leading role. Uh, and she goes on to say the denial of the dignity and sanctity of black life is part of the DNA of this country. It's also a foundational sin of the American Catholic church. And she ends saying the goal for black people has never been charity. It is full justice, human rights, freedom, and the complete dismantling of white supremacy, beginning with the church. Um, I think that like what I really appreciate about the article is um, not only those concrete demands, but the kind of like encouragement to think about the church as an institution that could actually play a role in the liberation of black people. Um, and the way to do that would be by actually doing in some ways what it does well, which is building infrastructure, uh, rethinking its own institutional uh, mechanics and uh, using those kinds of things in order to promote black liberation. I think that's like a question or uh, a sort of set of issues that sometimes gets lost in conversations um, especially conversations that are critical or negating. Uh, but the idea of trying to like rebuild infrastructure or, or you know, totally transform infrastructure, uh, those are questions that you can affix like dollar amounts and people's names to and institutional mm -hmm. addresses to. And that is an important way to situate demands. Yeah, definitely. And the uh, that comment you just made about um, like a, a mass exodus of black people from the United States is really interesting, too. Mm -hmm. um this is like kind of an aside to the to that piece uh but there's an article that i read earlier this week um it was in al jazeera i think okay it's called if black americans were to seek asylum they could qualify by a molly tower it's this really mm -hmm. interesting piece though that's like um basically making the case that like you know she's not advocating for people for black people to like leave the united states but <laughs> assuming that they wanted to they uh they could um they could qualify for political asylum based on um, an argument about what the UN has found in the United States with regards to police mm. violence. Anyway, sorry, that's all. That's all just an aside, but it just made me think about that as mm -hmm. like a weird, a, a weird uh, part of like the story. I guess I don't know a weird yeah. uh, a weird take on it. it. I guess it's strange because it's just hard to think about you know, you know leaving the United States as a as a political a, a political refugee, but I guess it does make. Uh, complete sense in this whole big moment sorry that distracts from the entire conversation we were just having about <laughs> about <laughs> demands uh but i can't stop my brain from working in this dumb way no um, but i think it's actually it's a good connection to make and it's one that she makes herself right that um uh given the the seriousness of white supremacy in the u.s it's not inconceivable that black people would feel the need to leave the u.s and that idea that she has of like, well, what if uh, Catholics were able to build links with Catholic regions of Africa or something? And, and that might be some kind of um, tangible, trustworthy uh, pathway for people to get out. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like it's important to recognize these aren't completely fantastical um, musings or speculations or proposals like, you know, she, she's yeah. thinking about a, a real problem as strongly as she can and also trying to think of like a real tangible possibility to prepare for that, which is troubling, but, um, you know, it's an important exercise to think about in a serious way. Yeah, definitely. I guess I, I felt that same way about the Al Jazeera article, too. That right. Just like, what what an interesting, like, I mean, I, my privilege shields me from so much of this, I guess, in my own life experience shields me from understanding how, I guess, real this could be, but uh, what a, a wild thing to think about. Right. 
Well, your parents are back. Uh, what they've done all night, you'll never know. But uh, you can spend all day thinking about it in the haze that you will now be uh, entering the world through uh, of sleep deprivation. And as the Mountain Dew finally courses its way through your bladder and into the toilet, um, that's the price you pay for being at a lock-in. Um, just a, a, a swirling brain full of uh, new ethical questions. Um, you've probably given your life to Christ for the sixth or seventh time, and congratulations on that. I'm sure this will be the one that sticks. And uh, if it's not, don't worry. We'll be here next week to do it all over again. I don't want to get up at church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up, keep your hoods up.